Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today, we're talking on the Times Talk topic, Have We Completed Our Planet Discoveries Without Even Seeing Them? I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Donovan Domang, and he's a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia College. Dr. Domang, welcome to Georgia College Connections. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine. And so we're talking about um, some new celestial discoveries that have happened, or perhaps discoveries that have not yet been discovered as we may commonly think of them. That started me to wondering, and so I wanted to start off our conversation with a observation and a question. There have been some shattering changes in the way we understand our solar system. And I was wondering if you could start off by talking about these new changes, and why we may not be as far in understanding the solar system as we thought we were. Okay. I think most of the changes happened in the early 2000s. Uh, Mike Brown and some of other collaborators working on detecting the objects in the far reaches of the solar system discovered several new things. Objects which now have names, Sedna, Eris, these are objects out beyond Pluto and uh, they weren't discovered before this time. Eris was particularly problematic, since Eris seemed to be larger than Pluto. It caused a problem. Everyone was wondering, should we call it a planet? But if it's not going to be a planet, then should Pluto be a planet? So a few years later, the International Astronomical Union sort of called a committee to make the decision of what is a planet. Uh, what many people don't understand is that, you know, despite... Everyone seeming comfortable with what a planet might be. There was no official definition of what that was. And it's, it's true for many things in astronomy. Things that are sort of ancient in their description don't really have formal definitions. And so the committee decided it was time to come up with a formal definition. So they decided to demote Pluto. Pluto is now officially called a dwarf planet. And Eris was called a dwarf planet. Sedna would be a dwarf planet. And the other objects, which uh, the list goes on quite a bit. Uh, would all be called dwarf planets. And so basically you're talking about what sounds like an initial classification of what constitutes a planet and what doesn't. Well, how did we wait this long to actually come to this conversation about you know, what is a planet and what's not? And then I guess if you could sketch out some of the you know, differing lines of thought on you know the question of Pluto, but uh, then some of the other uh, questions that may orbit this conversation. Sure. Pluto really was discovered 
in such a way that it was going around the sun, and everyone agreed that if it wasn't an asteroid, then it was a planet. That was really basically all there was to it. I'm curious, how far ago was that determination made? During the 1800s, the asteroids were first discovered, and the asteroids were um, initially called planets. So we're kind of repeating history. The first largest asteroid called Ceres, it was discovered uh, between Mars and Jupiter. Uh, it was called a, a planet, So, and that was before Pluto's discovery. So we had a ninth planet, which was not Pluto. And then they discovered a few more asteroids, and they realized that that section of the solar system was very crowded, and uh, the list of planets would be very large. And they realized that most all of them were too small to be round, and so that was like the first idea. It's like, well, if they're not round, we'll call them asteroids. And so all these things between Mars and Jupiter would be asteroids. And then Pluto was discovered. And uh, so that became the ninth planet. And since Ceres was not the ninth planet anymore. And now in modern day, we've decided that Pluto was uh, not a planet. So we've had uh, two different ninth planets. And now we're back to eight. So we were at eight, and then we are at nine, and then we are at ten, and then eleven. And then those asteroids were all demoted, so we went back to eight. And then we get Pluto, and so we're, we're back to nine again. And now Pluto's been demoted, so we're back to eight in the modern day. And so history repeats itself. And so we've, we've had this um, problem with what the definition was more than once. And so now the definition is something that's round, but it has to be in an area where it's dominating the section of the solar system. So by this definition, nothing in the region of Pluto would ever be a planet because that's a very crowded region of the solar system. Nothing in the section of the asteroid belt would be a planet either. But the other areas are free of other objects, so that if there's a planet going around the sun, its entire orbit will be free and very distant from other major things. That's excellent. So uh, I, I find myself challenging some of my own uh, preconceptions about this because I thought that the decision on Pluto is based simply on its size, but it's actually not simply its size, it's also its location in our solar system. Yeah, size-wise, we wouldn't have a a real way to differentiate the planets from the dwarf planets because there's no definite number. Like, where do you make that mark? And so they made the mark as, is it big enough to be round? And it is. So that means planets and dwarf planets are both big enough to be round. But dwarf planets are in a crowded section of the solar system. So they aren't, their history doesn't lay out a path where they crowded out their neighbors. They coexist with their neighbors. So Pluto is among many dwarf planets. And so Mike Brown has been discovering many of these in the past two decades. The list of dwarf planets is at 10 definite ones. And Mike Brown thinks they're probably over 500. Just in our solar system alone. Yes, just in our solar system. Almost all of them right beyond Pluto. Amazing. <laughs> I find myself knowing that I... No, not as much as I thought I did before our conversation starts. Great. Right now, we're out of time in this segment, so we're going to take a short break. But if you're just joining us, you're listening in on one part of our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Uh, I want to remind you that if you're enjoying our conversation today, please consider coming out to the Times Talk, which happens at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today, we're talking about uh, the question of, have we completed our planet discoveries without even seeing them? I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Donovan Dumang. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia College. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. 
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're having another of our Times Talk conversations. I just want to remind you, if you're enjoying our discussion today, please consider coming out at noon Wednesdays to the Georgia College Library to participate in this great program put on by the American Democracy Project at Georgia College. Today, we're talking about the question, have we completed our planet discoveries without even seeing them? I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Donovan Domang. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia College. Now, in that last segment, we were talking about potentially not knowing as much as we thought we had known. Or really, I'd say that that's probably a fact, that we did not know as much as we thought we knew about our solar system. And you had mentioned that this is not the first time that we've been kind of thrown into this uncertainty. Uh, you're talking about many discoveries of a ninth planet. And really, that's what we're here to talk about today. But maybe discovery is not the right word. It sounds like from the article you're presenting that we are theorizing about a potential discovery of a ninth planet. Could you tell us a little bit about the questions that we're looking at here? Sure. In astronomy... Part of astronomy is directly observing things and um, confirming that they're there. Uh, but another part of astronomy and modern science of it is theorizing and using computer calculations 
to describe why things are moving the way they're moving. And so that's been a way that we've learned a lot of things about astronomy. Uh, we make predictions. And all these great objects that uh, Mike Brown and others have been discovering in the outer solar system beyond Pluto, they've given them a clue about what's going on. One of the things about the orbits of these objects is they're elongated. So when you elongate an orbit, there's a side that gets nearer to the sun and a side that gets farther away from the sun. And you would expect those to be randomly distributed among all these objects, you know, random directions. You would think that some objects were oriented um, opposite of others. But a large set of the recent objects have all had a similar orientation. Their near section to the sun are pointing in a very similar direction. This seems very curious to Mike Brown and uh, Badigan, the authors of the article we were discussing. Their calculations have uh, shown that there is a way to describe what's happening, and that if there was a large ninth planet beyond those objects, its gravity would cause this sort of behavior. We were talking during the break, so they had discovered several of these objects, and I guess they were all in a similar area of the solar system, but it was their movement that was the first clue to them that there was something that they could not explain in there. Is is that the correct way to think about it? Yes, they're you know, their movement shows us that they're an elongated shape of an orbit. If we were to trace out their entire history of their path around the sun, you would see it like a stretched out ellipse. And when you have an ellipse, there's a near side to the sun, and those are all oriented um, in a very similar way. So the odds are very low that that would be by chance. So they have a, an understanding that you know, their computer models um, show that if they have a large planet, and that's, that's a good way to make it happen. But the next question comes up is, why is there a planet out there? The other eight planets are all much, much closer than this object is. And so they've also written more recent papers to discuss why it would be there. Very interesting. I think they're a long way from deciding if they're correct. But their two favorite reasons are either that this was closer and it was with the other eight planets and it was pulled outward by a nearby star coming next to the sun, or that we actually stole it from a nearby star and it joined our solar system. So either way, the interaction with our sun and another star makes it an exciting story. And so I, I guess what you're saying is that this theorized ninth planet could have an orbit that brings it much farther away from all the other planets in our solar system. And that, you know, it could mean that it potentially has been pulled away more recently, or it is a more recent acquisition to our solar system. That's, that's right. That's a good description of it. They know where this would have to be in order to make the effects that we see happen. And it would be, let's just put it in terms of Pluto, about 10 times further away than Pluto is from the sun. And at its greatest, it would be maybe even twice that much. And so its orbits uh, would take it in a, a big variation from closest to farthest distance from the sun. None of these objects are moving around in circles, so their distance does change. So if it's really out there, we don't know if, if it's at its closest point or if it's at its farthest point or in between. And we, they, we don't really know. It's somewhere out there, and it's causing this behavior on these nearer objects. Well, it's happened again. We're out of time in this segment. Uh, but if you're just joining me, we're talking with Dr. Donovan Domang. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia College. 
And we're talking about our solar system and the question of have we completed our planet discoveries without even seeing them? This, of course, is a part of our collaboration with the American Democracy Project to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. If you're enjoying our conversation, please consider coming out and joining the discussion at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and we're continuing our Times Talk conversations on Georgia College Connections this evening. I'm talking with Dr. Donovan DeMang. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia College, and he's here today talking about the question of have we completed our planet discoveries without even seeing them? And that's why I really want to focus on this segment. Um, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about um, our ability to to see these things and how we see them. But I wanted to go just a little bit deeper. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that Michael Brown had made many of his discoveries when he was actually focused further out into the universe. Maybe these things, these dwarf planets that he's seen in these other objects were almost like the uh, particles of dust on your camera lens when you're looking far out into the field and you see something hazy in the, in the foreground. I just thought I'd ask you a little bit more about how we see the planets and other objects out in space. Sure, there are two ways that we might find planets around uh, the sun. One of the ways is that each of these objects has its own heat, own temperature, so they give off light but the light is in the infrared. 
So that requires the use of an infrared telescope. The second way we would do it is the light that's reflected off of the planet, and that light originates at the sun. And first of all, the sunlight has to travel out very far to reach the planet, so there's very little light reaching it. And then we have to count on that light being reflected, and that object might not be completely reflective. If it's dark, then it's going to only reflect a portion of the light back at us. So the object's going to be very faint by the light time the light gets back to the Earth. So we're making the light go from the sun to the planet and then uh, back to the Earth. That's the reflection. Uh, it's, the, it's the way we would observe it from the Earth. So that's the way Pluto and the, many of the other dwarf planets have been discovered is by the reflected light. The infrared, we need an infrared telescope. So we have had some surveys. Uh, these infrared telescopes are in space. And as they orbit the sun with the Earth, the telescopes can be pointed to many different directions. So there has been a survey of the entire sky that would have noticed a ninth planet if it was bright enough. So they can rule out that the planet would be the size of Jupiter. It must be smaller than that. But if it was near the size of Neptune or smaller, that survey would not have seen it. So we would require a different survey well, you might ask, like, how could uh, we improve what we're doing? And so the idea is that when you take pictures of the sky, you would have a longer exposure time. That allows us to see things that are not as bright. So past surveys weren't necessarily looking for the planet. They had other goals in mind because it was only theorized uh, this year. So all these surveys that were completed years ago, they didn't have this in mind. The result was... They didn't find the ninth planet. But that does not mean it's not there. And so we've seen, obviously, advances in the way that we use telescopes to see things in space. I think potentially one of those is infrared telescopes. Has our understanding of what we're looking for had major market changes? And, and really my question is, could there still be other ways of looking at the cosmos that we have not yet understood and have not yet put into practice? These calculations and these theorists are helping us to think about where to look. Our understanding of the size of the objects we might see is changing so that we might have simply looked for Pluto-sized objects farther and farther away and maybe given up hope because that's a very difficult technical task. But then these theorists are telling us this object would probably be bigger than Neptune, or near Neptune size, in order to make the effects that we see. So then we know that we're looking for a very large object. And so then it gives everyone hope again that they can still observe it, just that we haven't done it yet. And so future surveys are going to have this in mind. There's something called the Large Synoptic Survey that's going to be partially funded by Google. It's a telescope that's on the ground, but it observes the sky about every three nights. It would have completed enough observations to have pictures of the entire sky. So we could survey the entire sky every three nights with this telescope. It should be coming online in uh, one to two years from now. But this is the kind of telescope that can help us make even more discoveries like this because the software that developed to analyze the images will immediately point out things that are moving. Because if we can see the same piece of the sky every three nights, we will notice when something is not uh, where it was the previous three nights. 
And so we'll see all of these um, dwarf planets. I think they'll probably all be confirmed. Uh, we'll find new ones, and this is the place to look for the ninth planet and something like that. And as we're talking, I'm just curious about how these discoveries, how these new theories about what we see when we look into the night sky, how does how do they make you feel? Are you is it exciting? <laughs> is it is it challenging? Uh, is it is it disruptive to see some of these things that we thought we knew come crashing down around us? I think it's very exciting. I think it leads us to have progress in our understanding of the origins of the solar system because the present state of the solar system, more accurately, the present understanding of the solar system is what has led to our ideas about the origins of the solar system. Um, I've always been interested in the origins of everything and having information that was unexpected going to change our description of the origins. It's going to change the descriptions of how many objects there were near the sun, why they developed, where they developed, and you know, it's going to be very exciting times ahead. And now, as you're talking to our Times Talk audience, what do you hope they take away from the conversation on Wednesday? I hope they take away that science is a great project to see how we fit into the universe maybe pave the way for the future of humanity, that we might not always live solely on the earth, and that we're living in a time where we're laying the groundwork for understanding our future, our future home. If we go to Mars someday, that'll be our first step out there. We come from a cosmic origin, and if we don't even understand our nearest neighborhood, then it's a shame. I hope they can understand that we are living in a time where we're, we're starting to know much more. And we were talking during this last break about another opportunity that may be unique to Milledgeville that we have here at Georgia College. I was wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit about some of the observatory nights, if, if this conversation sparks something in, in us or you know, hopefully our, our little ones, um, that we might actually be able to take advantage of that. Sure. This semester has uh, two observation opportunities for the public. We open up our observatory in Hurdy Hall. It's on the fourth floor of Hurdy Hall, and uh, on November 4th at 8 p.m., we'll have the doors open, we'll 8 to 9.30, and then I believe we'll start uh, around 7.30 on December 2nd. So November 4th and December 2nd, you can come to Hurdy Hall's observatory, and we'll, we'll look at the planets that may be available to us and uh, deep sky objects, which are the objects that you can see only with telescopes, like uh, galaxies and star clusters. Uh, we can see all these from Milledgeville if you come to our um, observatory nights. Our observatory has a 24-inch telescope, which is fairly large by telescope standards, and it's a great opportunity. I want to thank you for making that opportunity available um, to the community. I know that that telescope is a huge investment and almost a, a gift to all of us here in the Milledgeville area. And I'm just glad that your department is working to make people able to see the skies better than we ever have, and maybe we ever even have imagined. You're welcome. And also, thank you for um, bringing this conversation to our radio audience here on the um, Georgia College Connections. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm, pleasure has been mine. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we were trying to scratch at the question, have we completed our planet discoveries without even seeing them? Joining me in the studio is Dr. Donovan Domang. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia College.
This conversation was a part of our Times Talk collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please remember that the Times Talk is a weekly event. It's free and open to the public, and it convenes at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I just want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.